The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Dr. Hinshaw is about to start her news conference. And again, you'll remember last week she did talk about this app that was being designed, which was going to help. Um, You know, when it comes to community tracing, one of the things that um, is going to be revealed today is how that will work. It is called um, Alberta Trace Together. Let's go to the Alberta legislature right now. Here is Dr. Hinshaw. Good afternoon. Let me begin by making an apology. In the announcement I made earlier this week regarding updates to visitor restrictions and continuing care, I did not ensure that operators had been fully consulted or notified prior to the policy change. I am sorry. This has put operators in a difficult position as they did not have time to prepare. I ask that families and friends of those in continuing care be patient with operators who are working to adapt to the change and keep staff and residents safe. We all need to work together to protect this vulnerable population. Today, as part of my daily update, I'd like to provide some more detail into the ongoing work we've been doing to better understand how this virus is spreading in Alberta and who is most at risk of severe outcomes, and also to share more details on the Alberta Trace Together app. But first, I would like to report an additional 218 cases of COVID-19, bringing the total number of cases in Alberta to 5,573. Of these, 2,359 people have now recovered. Since my last update, we have also confirmed three additional deaths in the province. This brings the total number of lives lost to 92. All three deaths were in continuing care facilities experiencing outbreaks, which is a reminder of why we need to continue to be vigilant to protect this population. My thoughts and sympathies go to everyone grieving the loss of a loved one today. We should never let these numbers become just another statistic. As of today, there are now 580 COVID-19 cases in outbreaks in continuing care facilities across the province. An outbreak has also been declared by Alberta Health Services at the Amazon Fulfillment Facility in Balzac, where additional measures have been put in place to prevent spread. Five cases have now been reported at that facility, although it is not yet clear if all five are linked with a common exposure. We have just received this confirmation, so it will not be reflected in the outbreak listing on our website today. In addition, two positive cases have been identified at Alpha House in Calgary, where a rapid response team is now now supporting that location to put outbreak measures in place. At High River's Cargill Meatpacking Plant, there have now been 921 cases. There have also been 390 confirmed cases among workers at the JBS plant in Brooks. I want to commend the frontline public health professionals and their partners who are responding to all outbreaks across the province. They are working quickly to contain the spread, providing public health guidance to employers and operators, testing anyone who may have been exposed and supporting those who have become ill. In the last two weeks alone, these teams, among other things, have called every household with a Cargill worker, have tested every client who stayed in one of the shelters where a COVID case has been confirmed, 
have offered large volume testing to residents of Brooks over three days earlier this week and have continued to do the regular daily work of case follow-up and contact tracing that is the backbone of our ability to prevent spread of this virus. Their tireless work is an integral part of our response to this public health emergency, and I want to recognize and celebrate their dedication. The extent of these outbreaks demonstrates not only how easily this virus can spread, but why it's so essential that we uncover the source of transmission so we can find out who is at highest risk of exposure. Today, we are launching another useful tool that can supplement the critical detective work we are conducting in public health. Alberta Trace Together is a voluntary, secure, mobile contact tracing application to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. You only need to download the app and provide your mobile phone number to register. The app is now available to all Albertans in the Google and Apple app stores. Let me tell you how this app will help us prevent spread. Through the process of contact tracing, public health workers currently identify who may have come into contact with a person infected with COVID-19 by asking questions of the case and relying on their ability to remember everywhere they have been in the past several days and who they were near. These people, their contacts, are then called to find out if they are sick and to make sure that they stay home for 14 days from the last exposure, even if they are feeling well. This is a vital step in preventing further spread of the virus. It is also time consuming and resource intensive, relying on each individual's ability to recollect who they may have come in contact with and then follow up with each of those individuals in order to be successful. When a contact tests positive for COVID-19, they become a case and the contact tracing process is then repeated to identify, test and isolate their contacts as necessary. Contact tracing when complemented by aggressive testing can help us interrupt ongoing transmission and reduce the spread. The faster Alberta Health Services contact tracers can inform exposed people or close contacts, the quicker we will be able to prevent potential outbreaks and identify when Albertans must self-isolate. In addition, these tactics yield valuable data that can help us get a better understanding of how the disease is spread and what underlying factors can contribute to cases of severe disease. Like bringing a camera into focus, these techniques give us a far clearer picture that help us to inform our actions going forward. Alberta Trace Together relies on the use of wireless Bluetooth technology to log interactions as an encrypted digital handshake. This happens when two phones, which each have the app, get within two meters of one another for an overall total of 15 minutes within a 24 hour period of time. In the event someone with the app tests positive for COVID-19, they will be asked to allow contact tracers at Alberta Health Services to use this information to further enhance manual contact tracing and allow other app users to be contacted so they can be informed if they have been potentially exposed. Even when app users who may have been exposed are contacted, user identities will not be shared. Users will merely be informed that they have come into close contact with someone who has tested positive for COVID-19. 
Previously, public health professionals at Alberta Health Services would have no way to know about the encounters of a COVID positive patient if they cannot recall them or if they may have come into contact with persons who are unknown to them. Now they will and they can contact that person and let them know they may have been exposed to COVID-19. The use of technology for this purpose may seem intrusive, but downloading the app is completely voluntary and data will not be accessed unless a user provides consent to share their data with AHS. The app does not use your phone's GPS and does not track the user's location or contacts. The only information exchanged between users' phones is a random ID that is non-identifiable. Nothing that is identifiable is exchanged. Data is stored on your phone in an encrypted form for 21 days. After 21 days, each day's worth of data is deleted one day at a time. Your information will not be used unless you agree to participate and consent to sharing the encrypted handshakes, those digital IDs, from the last 21 days. If you were diagnosed with COVID and you consent to the information on your phone being used, the contact tracer will be able to match the unique non-identifiable IDs on your phone with the registered user's phone numbers via a merging of data. This is the only information you are asked to provide and providing this information voluntarily is crucial to our work to prevent the spread of COVID-19. I have already downloaded the app myself and I encourage you to do so too. You can aid in our work to keep Albertans healthy and provide crucial information about the spread of this dangerous illness. In the weeks since our first case was discovered in Alberta, we have learned a great deal about this virus. I'd like to share with you a few of these key findings. First, while we know older individuals are at the highest risk of severe symptoms, COVID-19 does not discriminate by age when it comes to who is infected. The average age of cases in Alberta to date is 41.5 years, and we have seen cases in every age group. Second, as a part of the interviewing process, whenever a case is identified, we now have a better understanding of the most common symptoms associated with COVID-19. The most frequent symptom identified is a cough with roughly 62% of all cases reporting this. The next highest is sore throat at 33%, followed by fever at 28%. We also found 7.5% of our cases showed no symptoms at all at the point at which they were tested. These are cases found by testing all those in outbreak settings where the risk of exposure is higher than for the general population. I want to make sure that I'm clear about the, in, the uh, interpretation of tests that are done when someone is asymptomatic. This is just a point in time and does not accurately identify whether or not a person who is asymptomatic will go on to develop the disease in the future. Our investigations have also uncovered the conditions that tend to be present in cases of severe disease. We looked at whether cases had been previously diagnosed with one of nine conditions, including cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, respiratory disease, and immune deficiency. As well, we also see if a case had been reported to have obesity or a history of smoking. From the data so far, we've found that people between the ages of 30 and 64 
are more likely to have a severe outcome, needing hospital or ICU treatment, or in the worst outcome, leading to death, if they had at least one of these health conditions. Among cases in this age group, two-thirds of hospitalized cases and almost three-quarters of deceased cases had at least one of these conditions. Older age continues to be the most significant risk factor for severe outcomes, with those over 65 years of age being almost five times more likely to need hospital care or to die as those under 65. The risk of these severe outcomes increases the older a person is, so risk is higher for those over 80 years old than for those between 65 and 79. We found the three most common factors in cases of severe outcomes, such as ICU and death, are older age, obesity, and immunodeficiency. So bringing this all together, I can distill two key lessons for Albertans. One is the importance of everyone monitoring ourselves for COVID symptoms. And should they occur, isolating yourself until they disappear and going online to arrange for a COVID test. I know I keep repeating this message, but I cannot overstate how critical this step is to protecting the health of those around you. So I encourage all of you to be mindful of what your body is telling you and stay home if you have a cough, fever, runny nose, sore throat, or difficulty breathing. Our investigation into comorbidities also has some important takeaways that Albertans can practice. Sadly, age is a predominant factor in severe cases, and there is little to do, little we can do to change that, except for protecting those who are older. But we also know that many of the conditions associated with COVID-related hospitalizations and deaths in younger people are things that can be addressed. Factors such as smoking, obesity, high blood pressure and diabetes are all conditions where supports and management options are available to Albertans. Eating healthy, exercising regularly, and quitting or reducing smoking are things we can control that may help reduce our risk of experiencing the most severe aspects of this virus. But just as importantly, these are positive, rewarding behavior changes that can greatly affect our health over the long term from even more deadly complications such as heart disease, stroke, and cancer. I encourage every Albertan to take an active role in their health and our collective health as we respond to this pandemic. One of the easiest ways to do this is to download the Alberta Trace Together app. As I said earlier, this technology is an important tool for public health experts to track the spread of COVID-19 and prevent further transmission. It is also easier to get outside now that the weather is improving. Physical activity is a great way to break up the monotony many of us are dealing with now. Remember to practice physical distancing while you are out enjoying the sunshine. Connect with friends and loved ones for support if you are looking to improve your physical or mental health. We are all in this together, and together we can take positive steps to improve our personal and collective health. Thank you, and I'm happy to take questions. All right, we'll now go to the phones. In addition to Dr. Hinshaw, we also have Dr. Mark Jaffe, Medical Director and Vice President with AHS, available to answer questions if needed. Operator, could you please put through the first question? First is Janet French with CBC. Go ahead, Janet. Um, I'm curious about um, 
what, if any, more additional information is going to come for health professionals? I mean, it sounds like they can start resuming more activities as of Monday. It, it sounds like it also hinges on direction coming from different colleges. Some of those colleges, it sounds like they're waiting for more direction from you as to what to tell their members about how to, you know, be a physiotherapist or <laughs> carry on with osteopathy or whatever. Um, what do you, what additional advice is coming from your office, if any, and what message do you have for the public about what their expectations should be when it comes to trying to go and see a chiropractor or a physiotherapist? So one of the important things about the announcement yesterday is that uh, May 4th should not be taken as the date when every single health practice across the province will open its doors uh, and go back to practicing as usual. Uh, so the, the announcement yesterday was that as early as May 4th, if a health professional college has standards or guidelines uh, for their members with respect to practicing their profession in a way that prevents transmission, if those are finished by the college and then members are able to implement them in their local practice, that May 4th would be the earliest possible date. And many colleges, uh, because as the information has been shared relatively recently, uh, have not had the time to develop those standards and guidelines in detail. We are going to be providing information to the colleges uh, and that will hopefully be happening in the next uh, either end of day today or by tomorrow. Information that will outline the expectations uh, with respect to what the content of those standards and guidelines must be. But we do rely on the colleges who know how their individual members uh, what the practice of that particular profession entails. So they will be able to take the basic, um, or I should say the core, fairly detailed guidance that we provide them, and then make sure that that is appropriate for the context in which their members practice. So for the general public, I would say that over the next several weeks, as these colleges uh, get this information and are able to produce the guidelines for their members and their members are able to then absorb them and understand how to apply them in their local clinics you will likely see a sort of staggered opening uh, of different professions depending on how long this process takes so again the, the may 4th date is simply a, an earliest possible uh, but i anticipate all of this will take some time to make sure that those standards and guidelines are in place uh, and that members have an opportunity to see them and uh, then incorporate them into their daily practice operator could you please put through the next question next is jeff black with 660 news go ahead jeff hi dr hinshaw just wondering i've, I've two-part question here. I was just wondering what uh, what's happening with the Amazon facility, uh, what's being put in place so we don't have another Cargill or Brooks incident happen, as well as, I guess, malls, to your announcement yesterday about the relaunching, some malls are um, uncertain about what retail's opening mean for them on May 14th, and some are getting ready to open on that day. I was wondering if you could clarify if malls are okay to open on May 14th or do they have to wait until the second stage? Sure, so with respect to uh, the Amazon question, so again, the, the 
outbreak investigation and response is led by local medical officers of health, uh, but it did receive information from my colleague uh, who's working on that particular outbreak today. And so he's informed me they've had a site inspection already with someone from uh, the public health team who's gone on site and has seen uh, there were already many measures that were in place to prevent the spread of infection. And there's been some recommendations made to the, the uh, location with respect to how they can enhance and make those measures more robust uh, given this particular um, cluster of five cases. I want to emphasize that, again, the investigation entails looking at those cases, looking at when they became sick, uh, and if there is some kind of a common exposure or risk factor, and that's still underway. And then that information will help to pinpoint if there are any other uh, specific risks that need to be addressed or mitigated. Uh, so this is a very different kind of workplace than Cargill. And every single case uh, at any kind of facility uh, needs to take into account what kinds of work happen at that facility and then who potentially could be exposed. And anyone, again, who is a close contact uh, would be kept away from others for 14 days. So they would be asked to self-isolate at home uh, for that period of time. And all of those things are happening at the Amazon plant. And that investigation and outbreak management will continue at that location with support from public health uh, over the coming weeks. Operator, could you put through another question, please? Texas Jason Harry. Well, there was a second Go ahead, Jason. Sorry about that. I interrupted Dr. Insha. No, sorry. I, there was a second. There were two questions. One was Amazon malls. and malls. malls was the other question. Um, so uh, retail openings uh, are not specific to retail settings outside of malls. Uh, so I want to be clear, though, that the expectation will be that all retail locations that are opening will have thought through the requirements that are in place. So we do have work site guidance uh, that is on the Alberta Health website with respect to to preventing transmission of COVID. We will be providing some additional details within that guidance. So the expectation, whether someone is a mall operator or a retail store operator, is that they look through that guidance and then consider how that guidance can be applied in that setting to make sure that the risk of exposure is limited. Uh, so again, uh, openings will be able to happen, both malls and retail, but making sure that all of those requirements can be met uh, with respect to safety in those settings. Sorry. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Okay, go ahead, Jay. Thanks for taking my question, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, in April, uh, you announced that Alberta was aiming to complete 9,000 tests each day by the end of the month, uh, and we didn't come particularly close to reaching that goal. Uh, what, what prevented the problems from reaching that number? And does this change the previously stated goal to hit 20,000 tests per day by the end of May? So uh, there's two things I would say to that. One is that there is a global uh, significant demand for testing supplies. Uh, so that includes both things like the swabs that are used to take the tests, as well as the lab reagent or the chemicals that are used to process the tests. So our lab has been able to expand capacity uh, through the, the machines that they have. 
Um, however, some of the, the machines that have been ordered have been a bit slower. Uh, so again, we, we remain at about a 7,000 a day test capacity because of some of those supply chain challenges. And that's something that we continue to manage and uh, seek alternate options because uh, we know that testing remains a cornerstone of our strategy. The lab has done some incredible work and we are anticipating that we will be able to increase our testing capacity in mid-May uh, to uh, over 10,000 tests a day. Um, and so that's something again that based on the current expectation of when we will have different uh, pieces of equipment and supplies delivered. That's our current target and we should be able to enhance that further in later May. Uh, we will know numbers more clearly again once we have some of the, the equipment deliveries coming through. But the second piece that I want to um, emphasize is that our testing capacity is really critical to be able to respond to the public health need, which means that we need to be able to test anyone who has symptoms. We need to be able to do significant amounts of testing in outbreaks, and we need to be able to focus testing on vulnerable populations. And that, that is exactly what we're doing. So what we've seen actually across the country is that many provinces have had a bit of a reduction in the demand for testing. Part of that is because the public health measures that we've put in place have reduced the spread of all kinds of illnesses, not just COVID, but other viruses as well. And so one of the pieces that might explain the, the fact that we have not been testing 7,000 people every day is uh, again, this is something that's been seen across the country. It seems that less people are actually getting sick, which is a good thing. So part of the lower than anticipated um, numbers is actually a success story uh, because we don't have as many people who are feeling ill. We are, as I mentioned, making sure that we're building capacity so that if, if we see more people who have symptoms or we anticipate that as we move into this cautious relaunch, people may be perhaps more concerned about their symptoms. And I continue to encourage anyone who's feeling ill to make sure that they go through the online web process with AHS and book a test uh, because the more people who help us in that way, the more we're able to identify where we have cases and then to be able to contain the spread. So ultimately, I think it's actually a good news story that the total number of tests that we've been doing uh, have not needed to be as high as 7,000. Uh, and I want to remind people that we have a very open testing policy with anyone who has any symptoms, as well as doing very significant amounts of testing and outbreaks, even for those who do not have symptoms. Operator, could you put through another question, please? Next is Carmen LaBelle with CTV. Go ahead, Carmen. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind updating the situation at the Sturgeon and Royal Ellis Hospitals. Um, it was mentioned not that long ago there were a few cases, and I'm wondering if there are more cases. So uh, on the summary sheet that I have, those particular locations are not listed. I have not been informed of any additional cases. Uh, so I'll maybe just ask Dr. Jaffe to cover that, uh, see if he has an update. Thank you for the question, Carmen. I did have an update on this uh, earlier today. There was a single individual identified at the Royal Alexandra Hospital and a single individual at the Sturgeon Community Hospital that acquired COVID-19. Uh, 
the investigation is ongoing to try to understand better whether they acquired it in hospital or may have come into hospital with COVID-19, but there are no others that uh, have been implicated in, in either of those two hospitals. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. Looking to see if there's an update at the uh, Purilator plant in Calgary. Uh, so that is one that I do not have information on, so would have to connect with my colleagues in Calgary and get back to you. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. The relaunch plan had a lot of details about businesses, but when can people visit each other's homes again? When can grandkids see their grandparents again and, and those types of family gatherings? So uh, with respect to gatherings in homes or outside of homes, uh, it is currently uh, allowable that up to 15 people gather as long as two meters of distance can be maintained. Uh, so at this time, uh, certainly as we're easing cautiously back into uh, more interactions, then the uh, maybe um, reduced risk to, ha to arrange for outdoor gatherings. Uh, so if people want to visit family members, again, ideally staying two meters apart from those who are not in the same household, uh, then those kinds of gatherings with family or friends can take place again with small groups, so less than 15, uh, making sure to keep that two meter distance. And it would be my recommendation to not share food or drink in those gatherings, as that seems to be a risk factor for potential transmission. Uh, but again, I think that people can now look at that, that gathering rule and consider uh, cautiously making plans uh, to visit loved ones. I think that question of whether or not children uh, can visit their grandparents is really an individual family decision. Uh, so I, I don't have a prohibition against that, but I would say that those individuals who are uh, older, especially those who are over 80, uh, do have a much higher risk of severe outcomes from disease. So I think each individual family is going to have to weigh out their um, ability to be able to maintain distance and have visiting against that concern about the potential risk of transmission. And that's something that, again, there's no rules about. It's more of an individual family risk assessment. All right, we've got time for two more questions. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Some medical professionals uh, we've talked to today are worried they aren't prepared with the PPE necessary to open Monday. How confident are you they'll be able to stay safe and follow new guidelines that protect themselves and their patients? I I'm also wondering uh, why these plans for reopening medical clinics were announced before uh, to the public before the colleges had time to make uh, new plans. Sure. So with respect to personal protective equipment, uh, that's absolutely something that uh, is being worked out with respect to the supply chains, uh, how to support different practitioners who are opening. And it is something that is very important to make sure that practitioners can be protected and patients can be protected. With respect to the question about the um, 
timing of the announcement. Uh, so recognizing that there would be different stages of readiness within different colleges uh, and also recognizing that there may be some that potentially had been uh, preparing in anticipation of, of maybe a, a reopening. Uh, we did want to allow that possibility for, for earlier reopening if there were some who were able to get their guidelines in place uh, and have their members follow it. Also recognizing that that would not be the case for all colleges. Uh, so want to make sure that, that expectations again are tempered uh, and that, that that date is simply uh, a date that allows people to start, but recognizing that many will need a bit more time to make sure that there is appropriate process and precautions. Uh, and so again, it's, it's more of a allowing that range of ability so that colleges can, can work with their members and open on dates that uh, they feel they have been able to, again, adequately meet all of the requirements that we have with respect to what those guidelines need to contain, as well as things like personal protective equipment and making sure that each individual practitioner clinic uh, is aware of and following those guidelines. So recognizing that, that it does cause um, perhaps some confusion uh, given the May 4th date that was just meant to be a, a kind of option uh, and then over the next few weeks we will see work underway to make sure that those colleges are supported have the information they need and that we're able to have clear information with respect to personal protective equipment sourcing availability and, and uh, details like that operator could you please put through our final question Final question is Elsie Von Scheel with CBC News. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I wanted to ask about the outbreak at Millrise Place, the senior facility in Calgary. Uh, you previously said that the province had identified issues there and that if the level of care wasn't increased, we'd look at further measures. So I wanted to ask what those issues were that you identified and what those next steps might be. Sure, so the update that, that I received about Millrise a few days ago uh, identified uh, some patient care issues. Uh, there were some challenges with respect to following the orders that uh, we've laid out for continuing care to follow. Um, and so those are things that have been required of that particular operator to implement. And Alberta Health Services is working with that facility to make sure that they have adequate staff. So supporting them with some additional staff uh, and making sure that the requirements will be put in place to protect residents uh, and staff. And so that's the information I have. I don't know if Dr. Jaffe can supplement. So thank you for that question. I think that the uh, first indication of an individual with COVID-19 in that facility was on April the 15th. On April the 16th, there was a care manager from Alberta Health Services that was deployed to help work with the staff on site, with the owner and the operators on site. Since that time, we've had over 20 Alberta Health Services uh, employees and staff working in that site, again, with the operator uh, and the owners uh, of that facility. Uh, we've had a nurse manager. Uh, we have had a variety of health professionals, RNs, LPNs, uh, 
healthcare aides. We've also had a pharmacist, a respiratory therapist, and other allied health workers. And uh, we continue to have uh, over 20 individuals from Alberta Health Services working there on a daily basis. Um, we have also been uh, very closely aligned in working with the Medical Officer of Health and the Environmental Public Health and Infection Prevention and Control individuals to try to uh, uh, help with the outbreak in that facility and to uh, emphasize the importance of ongoing excellent infection control strategies. Thank you all for coming. We'll provide updates online on Saturday and Sunday and provide another update in person on Monday. Have a safe weekend. All right, uh, Dr. Hinshaw and her daily COVID-19 update. Lots of uh, interesting tidbits in that uh, news conference this afternoon. Um, just as we head into the 2.30, the 4.30 newscast, um, 218 new cases in the province, three new deaths, bringing that total to 92. They're monitoring and dealing with an outbreak of five cases at the Amazon facility in Balzac. They're trying to figure out if they are linked to a common exposure. The Cargill cases up to 921, JBS and Brooks at 390. Also uh, revealing news today about the Alberta Trace Together app, which you can download. It's voluntary and it will help with uh, contact tracing. If you come into contact with someone who has been diagnosed with COVID-19 or if by chance you are, um, we'll get to more on that coming up as well. Breaking down some of the information on um, most common symptoms about um, conditions, um, people who, have, what kind of conditions they have who are getting infected um, in, in, in ages and population. Again, most common symptoms they found during their uh, during their study is cough at 62%, a sore throat at 33%, fever 28%, and no symptoms. 7.5%. Um, the average age of infections in this province, 41.5 years. But it, of course, has impacted every age group, and we know it has um, significantly impacted 65 plus.